Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast. And thank you so much, everyone, for inviting me into your ear holes with this episode. Last night was AEW Dynamite, and if you're listening to this show outside of the United States, then you are aware the Wednesday Night War is only happening within the United States. Episodes of NXT air live Wednesday night on the USA Network. However, if you don't get the USA Network, you don't see that show until Thursday night. So we'll just be talking about AEW Dynamite. We won't get to NXT until tomorrow when it airs for international wrestling fans. But aside from AEW Dynamite, there is one other topic which really needs to be discussed today. And it's the biggest news in wrestling this week. CM Punk announced as the newest contributor to WWE Backstage on FS1. And again, for all those non-American listeners, we don't get FS1, so it doesn't really matter. Well, I don't know. Actually, maybe FS1 could be outside of the United States. I don't know. It's not in Canada, however. But Punk came on... At the very end of the last episode of this show, he was announced as the newest contributor to a show which already has Paige, Christian, um, Booker T is on there, Samoa Joe, Renee Young, and now CM Punk will be a contributor to the show as well. Now, this show does not get very good ratings. It's only been on for a few weeks. The ratings have been quite low. I'm not exactly sure how low, but under 100,000 people, which seems significantly low. But now, what happens to their ratings when you got CM Punk on there? And I gotta tell you, if I got FS1, I'd be tuning in to hear what CM Punk has to say about modern wrestling. And I don't know that he's been exposed to much modern wrestling. And by modern wrestling... I basically mean the era of wrestling which has existed since CM Punk left. From 2014 to 2019, the amount of changes in the wrestling industry are ridiculous. Probably ridiculous in a good way, but... And you could argue that a lot of the changes we have seen from 2014 to today, a lot of them have to do with CM Punk. CM Punk leaving the industry had, a, had, had ripple effects throughout it. And all of a sudden, like in 2014, if you were a pro wrestler, your options in, in uh, you know, the United States or in uh, Canada or, I mean, basically it was WWE. You had WWE, you maybe had a little, I mean, TNA was TNA back then, and it was terrible. Ring of Honor was difficult to follow. These streaming services, which we have now grown to take uh, to take for granted, like New Japan World. New Japan World came out in 2014. It wasn't out when CM Punk left. So wrestling fans couldn't tune in to see what New Japan was doing. They could tune into TNA, but they didn't really care. Ring of Honor wasn't really great. I mean, the wrestling industry in 2014 was in poor shape. There wasn't a lot going on to get excited about. There was punk. 
you could get excited about CM Punk. The the Shield were debuting around that time. John Cena was still kicking around. Not a lot to get excited about. But then some changes started to me to to be seen. Daniel Bryan's popularity exploded. And all of a sudden you had this guy who was an indie wrestler known for just having good wrestling matches. And he was going on and winning the main event of WrestleMania. So a lot of interesting changes have happened in the world of wrestling since CM Punk left five years ago. And now, because of his new role on this show, WWE Backstage, Punk is going to sit in front of a camera in Fox's studios and talk about modern wrestling and give his feedback and opinions on modern wrestling after having not really followed it at all for five years. And I say that because Punk was on MMA fighting or did some interview with Ariel Helwani, who's not with MMA fighting anymore. He did an interview <laughs> uh, with Ariel Helwani and he said he has trouble watching wrestling now. Finds it's so overproduced. It's so like everything's these big LED screens and and it's not as uh, what's the word I'm looking for raw maybe. <laughs> it's it's more overproduced than the wrestling he grew up liking. Certainly more than the wrestling he helped build in Ring of Honor. And the key takeaway from what he said to Ariel Helwani is he's not really able to, or, well, he said at that time, he's not really able to watch wrestling. And it sounds as though he hasn't been keeping up with it for five years, and now he's going to sit down in a Fox studio and get hit over the head with all of the changes that have taken place in five years, and he's going to react to it. That's something I think a lot of wrestling fans are going to be interested in hearing. And that'll happen next Tuesday night. So one would imagine that CM Punk is going to watch SmackDown. He's going to watch NXT. He's going to watch Raw. And he's going to give his opinions on what those shows are like now. And he'll probably compare them to what the shows were like when he was performing on them. So that should be interesting. But then the other question, which is being asked so much in regards to Punk accepting this role with Fox, is if this will lead to CM Punk returning to pro wrestling. And some will say, oh, well, this is him returning to pro wrestling. This is a WWE show. Kinda. I mean, it's a Fox show about WWE. And WWE is a Fox show. So Punk is paid by Fox. His employer is Fox. But he's commenting on a WWE show, and WWE and Fox are business partners. So what happens if CM Punk wants to turn around, look at the camera, and just bash the product to bits? Just say this is the worst thing ever. Nobody should be watching this. This is terrible. I don't know. 
These are all unanswered questions that we might get answers to on future episodes of WWE Backstage. Okay, but does CM Punk accepting this role with Fox lead to him eventually returning to wrestling and or returning to WWE? I think there's more of a chance of it now than there was before this happening, but it really doesn't sound to me like Punk wants to return to wrestling, at least not as a wrestler. And if you had the chance to watch his interview at StarCast, there wasn't a ton there. Like, like there wasn't really a lot in that interview. I mean, it was certainly a lot less revealing than Punk's podcast with Colt Cabana. But he did give what appeared to be his honest feelings about returning to wrestling. And he sort of said, look, I, I don't know what I'd do. I'm happy with the career I had. I accomplished a lot. What's left for him to do? Would going to AEW be a challenge for Punk? Building this new company? Helping to provide competition to Vince McMahon? One would think if he was really motivated to do that, he would have done it by now. It sounds that well, what Punk said during his interview at StarCast was basically he doesn't have a lot of interest in getting in the ring again, dealing with the politics of that again, of being a wrestler again. And it sounds as though He'd like to do exactly what he's been doing for the last five years, just more of it. And minus the uh, competing in the UFC part. I don't think that's going to be happening again. But he's done commentary for MMA events on UFC Fight Pass. And he's done appearances like he was on Sportsnet here in Canada not long ago, just talking hockey. He's a big hockey fan. And so while wrestling fans might be looking at Punk taking this role with Fox as the first step, like, like his foot back in the door of wrestling, but I don't think that's what Punk's thinking of it as. I think he's thinking he's got his foot in the door at Fox and that he'll do WWE backstage and he'll continue to do the MMA commentary on UFC Fight Pass. And he'll use that experience and those points on his resume to lead him towards doing commentary for other Fox Sports, other Fox Sports presentations. That's what the role he has accepted would more traditionally lead to, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that everybody wants him to return to wrestling. But... But really, there's nothing to say that this move to Fox is going to lead to him returning to wrestling. I think there's reason to believe it could go a long way to repairing the relationship he has with WWE. But it seems more likely that this is just a chance for Punk to build on his commentating resume 
and continue to build his career in that industry. And we know that's something that he wants to do, whereas when people ask him about returning to wrestling, it doesn't really sound like he's all that interested. But there's more of a chance of him returning to wrestling now than there was before he took this role because it does get him back in the fold a little bit. He's going to be watching the show. Or he's going to be watching some shows. And it's possible, maybe not likely, but possible, that would end up giving him the itch to return that he's lacked in the last five years. But let's move on from CM Punk and WWE backstage, and let's talk about All Elite Wrestling Dynamite, which aired last night from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. And this was a big show. So this was the fallout show from Full Gear. And this, so this was an important show for AEW. Their first pay-per-view in their TV era of existence. And it was a pay-per-view that got a lot of people talking. A lot of people talking about what happened between Cody and Chris Jericho. And Cody no longer being able to challenge for the AEW World Championship. And a lot of people were talking about John Moxley versus Kenny Omega and the epic lights out death match the two had at Full Gear in Baltimore. And we started this show out with John Moxley wrestling in singles competition, going up against a good friend of Kenny Omega's, Michael Naka, Naka, Nakazawa. Before this match would get going, Though we saw a couple of video packages detailing what went on between Omega and Moxley at Full Gear. And good lord was that ever an epic... Like, the whole match, it was clear that both of these guys had prepared a bunch of weapons that they wanted to use on their opponents. Like, Moxley would bring out the baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. He brought out a gold... like a gold chain like a heavy gold chain that he would use kenny omega had the board full of mouse traps and then there was the the bed of barbed wire that they would use and kenny omega using the barbed wire wrapped in a broom as well so this was if you've ever i mean it was a death match where each guy Brought in multiple signature weapons for them to use. But in the end, it was John Moxley getting the victory. And he got the victory after Omega missed a Phoenix splash from the top. Lands head first onto the exposed boards. John Moxley gives him the DDT and picks up the win. Now, wins and losses from lights out matches don't matter but Moxley would very quickly pick up the victory over Michael Nakazawa to kick off Dynamite this week. And after the match, Moxley picked up the microphone and basically said nobody had the guts to get in the ring with him. And now you have to wonder, how far away is Moxley from receiving a title shot? The only blemish he has on his record is a time limit draw to pack 
I mean, well, I guess he he also lost a tag team match where he was teaming with Pac and then bailed on him. But Moxley's never been pinned, never submitted in a match in AEW. He's won two singles matches, but if you count his win over Kenny Omega, obviously it's three or two. But you've got to wonder if Moxley might not be far away from receiving the next shot. Well, definitely not the next shot. We'll get more into who's likely receiving the next title shot in uh, in a little bit. But John Moxley maybe not too far now from receiving a shot at the AEW World Championship. Now he's got another match upcoming. More on that later. Somebody would answer Moxley's challenge later in the show. It doesn't sound as though he's completely finished with Kenny Omega. However, Omega was not cleared to compete on Dynamite this week, but he sent out a tweet which sounded as though it was addressed to Moxley, basically saying, you left me alive and that was a mistake or something along those lines. But basically, Kenny Omega is coming back and it seems like he's not finished with John Moxley. However, John Moxley has another opponent upcoming. We'll get to that later, though. So next up, we had a tag team match with Evil Uno and Grayson of the Dark Order going up against Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy of Jurassic Express. So Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy, they got in some early offense, did a lot of flying head scissors, moves like that. But ultimately, it was the tag team wrestling of Grayson and Uno and they would be able to isolate Marco Stunt and pick up the victory over him. Then after the match, things got a little weird. So the Dark Order, uh, for those not aware, I mean, they used to be referred to as the Super Smash Bros. Uh, wrestled a little bit. They once challenged the Young Bucks for the ROH tag title. So very familiar with the Young Bucks. They have these creepers. And it's basically just people in uh, masks, black masks with green highlighting the eyes and and facial features. So after the match, Uno, Grayson, they attempt to get Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy to become these creepers. So at first they just offered Marco a, a spot, but then Jungle Boy tried to fight him off. And then the creepers are beating everybody up and they're trying to force the mask on a Jungle Boy. When who should return but Luchasaurus? And Luchasaurus, he um, suffered a leg injury, which kept him from the tag team title tournament. And he was supposed to be out until January, but he returned last night. He comes back and makes the save. And they beat up the members of the Dark Order. So Luchasaurus back in the fold for Jurassic Express. You have to wonder now if maybe we'll see a match with the Dark Order going up against the Jurassic Express. But with one of the members being the larger Luchasaurus. So next up, we had a triple threat match between Sean Spears, along with Tully Blanchard, going up against the librarian, Peter Avalon, who was along with the librarian, Leva Bates, and they were going up against Darby Allen. And I like that 
Darby Allen now rides his skateboard down the entrance ramp to the ring. So these two are having a triple threat match when who should come down but Joey Janela, and he went right after Sean Spears, who defeated him at Full Gear in Baltimore, but not without a little bit of controversy. It was a spiked pile driver on the outside that Tully Blanchard assisted in, which would cause the damage that cost Janela the match against Spears on the pay-per-view. Janela comes back for a little bit of revenge, so Janela and Spears end up brawling into the stands. That leaves uh, Peter Avalon along with Darby Allen. Darby Allen ends up hitting the coffin drop on Avalon at Peter Avalon for the win. But then Darby Allen picked up the microphone after the match and told John Moxley that he accepts his challenge. So we'll get John Moxley versus Darby Allen next week. And that should be a very good match. Darby Allen, John Moxley, they both seem to have a similar approach to pro wrestling, that being there. Neither one of them are very afraid to take risks. So next up we had Nyla Rose, and she would win a squash match over Danny Jordan with a uh, power bomb. That was basically the extent of that segment, but we would quickly turn it over to Tony Schiavone, who was interviewing Allie, and Schiavone dropped a little bit of information here, which we should pass on. So he said that AEW will release their top five rankings every Friday on Twitter, so we'll be keeping track of that as well. We do unofficial rankings for every promotion. I mean... We just try to do it more as a way of uh, more as a way to allow you to keep track of which wrestlers are competing in what division, what wrestlers are on the roster, that kind of thing. Uh, so we will adopt their adopt, excuse me, their top five as the official top five, but then we'll continue to rank numbers six and beyond after that, just to give you an idea of exactly who's in the running for what title. So he says that Ali, who I believe is ranked number four in the women's division, she's being interviewed by Shivani when all of a sudden Brandy Rhodes and Awesome Kong come out. And just as Awesome Kong had done before Full Gear, and I might as well just say what happened. Um, so <laughs> before Full Gear, Brandy Rhodes comes out with Awesome Kong after the Britt Baker versus B Priestley match. And Awesome Kong assaults B Priestley, chops off a bit of her hair, puts her hair on her belt. And this is a week after, or maybe two weeks after, or something like that. Brandy attacked Jamie Hayter in the back. Jamie Hayter is B Priestley's tag team partner in stardom. They seem to be aligned somewhat in AEW. And so basically, Brandy is just having Awesome Kong attack all these women. And I have a theory about what she might be doing. I mean, obviously, she's just getting Awesome Kong to do all her dirty work. But why did she have Awesome Kong attack B Priestley? And why did Brandy attack Jamie Hayter? 
And I feel like she only had Awesome Kong attack them after they lost. So after Jamie Hayter lost to Britt Baker, Brandy attacked her. After B Priestley had lost to Britt Baker, then Brandy had Awesome Kong attack her. And then Brandy just, I mean, she had been involved in sort of a mini rivalry with Allie. So when Allie appeared on AEW Dynamite, out comes Awesome Kong. And she takes Allie as her next victim. So we don't exactly know what is going on with these Brandy Rhodes organized hit jobs. Something's going on. Awesome Kong's doing Brandy's dirty work, but what's Brandy's dirty work? What's her endgame? Why does she want these people beat up? We don't have answers to that question next. So then next up, Le Champion's music hits and the AEW world champion, Chris Jericho, comes to the ring. He's going to be wrestling later that night for the tag titles, but he's still got time to cut a promo here. He said, basically, he wants to thank you from everyone in AEW, from the front office to everyone else, but doesn't care about any of the thank yous that were coming from the live crowd in the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. So he doesn't care about that. He said that he proved Cody was an entitled millennial or something like that. But then Cody's entrance music hits. But it wasn't Cody who came out. It was Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And so MJF comes out, tells Jericho, yeah, we've got some stuff to talk about, but boy, I've got to talk about something first. And so he proceeds to give his reasoning for why he attacked Cody at full gear. And according to MJF, the reason why he attacked Cody was that Cody is the, the real bad guy. He's the real guy, the bad guy that everybody should be booing. He would continue to say, Cody said he wanted to be my mentor, but all he really wanted to do was hold me down. So there was a lot of MJF saying that uh, Cody was just trying to keep him down and that Cody's a liar, a user, and an abuser. But then it came time for MJF and Chris Jericho to interact a little bit. And this was some classic stuff. So Jericho mentioned that there was a rumor that MJF was interested in joining his inner circle. But MJF mentioned that he'd heard Chris Jericho wanted him to join the inner circle. So what did two guys with inflated egos say to each other in a situation like this? Well, neither one would back down. Jericho wouldn't admit that he wanted MJF in the inner circle. MJF wouldn't admit that he wanted to be in the inner circle. They both wanted the other one to be the one to say that they wanted it. And neither one would back down. And as a result, MJF is not in the inner circle. 
and I don't think he's going to be in the inner circle. I think M MJF is going to go do his thing. And if this scene with Chris Jericho did anything, it explained that MJF has to do things his own way. He can't be an underling for Cody, and he can't be an underling for Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho would expect his inner circle to respond in that situation by saying, yes, I do want to be in the inner circle. Yes. Yes, Chris Jericho. Yes, I do. But MJF needed to have Chris Jericho ask him to be in the inner circle, or it wouldn't work for him. So how these two characters, their similarities, have now kept them apart. MJF not joining the inner circle. Chris Jericho not asking him to join the inner circle. So it seems like these two are, I mean, they're leading towards conflict with this conversation. That's what it seems like. Until they finally both agree that the biggest jackass in AEW is Cody, and then they both hugged. So they made up, they avoided conflict, but at no point did MJF ever join the inner circle. And this brought out Cody. And Cody has this big uh, gash across his left eye, which seemed to be similar to the one Nate Diaz suffered in his BMF title fight against Jorge Masvidal. So it seems like QT Marshall and some others are going to prevent Cody from going down to the ring, but that's not going to work. And Cody runs down, he attacks MJF. But just as it looked like Cody had the upper hand, out comes Wardlow. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I don't believe I am. Wardlow. 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 Big man. Big man wearing a Burberry tie, which is basically a sign that he is aligned with Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And he attacked Cody. And now it looks like MJF has his own little underling in in Wardlow who looks as though he might do some of his dirty work in MJF's pending feud with Cody Rhodes. So the plot thickened the plot thickened for Cody and MJF this week by the introduction of Wardlow to this feud and also by revealing that MJF is not going to be joining the inner circle which is likely good for him. MJF already has a very strong personality. He's moving into a blood feud with a major star in the promotion. Not sure MJF needs the inner circle, especially if he's going to have this big monster Wardlow, 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 Wardlow in his corner for his feud with Cody. So next up, we had the rubber match between Paige and Pac. And this was interesting. So Paige beat Pac on the pay-per-view. But then in the post-event media scrum said that he wanted to have 
this rubber match because Pac had defeated him on an episode of Dynamite. So it looks like Paige has the advantage. He hits the buckshot lariat, but Pac kicks out. And then things got a little interesting. Pac got a couple of uh, kicks into the back of Paige's head. And then sort of the referee starts uh, like trying to get Paige to stop. Like, or starting to get Pac to stop because Paige can't continue. But Pac keeps going around the referee and keeps kicking him in the back of the head. And then he goes up to the top, delivers the, the, is it the red arrow? He might be calling it something different now. Black arrow? His move from the top hits that, then locks in uh, the brutalizer. Paige is already unconscious and the ref calls for the bell. So now Pac is the winner of this three-match series. So even though Paige walked into the pay-per-view and came out with a win, because he had lost that earlier match on Dynamite, and now this match on Dynamite as well, Pac comes out of the series as the winner. You have to wonder how far away from a title shot Pac is now. Pac's got a couple of blemishes on his record. Pac... Well, he lost to Hangman Page. He went to a time limit draw with Moxley. He also lost a tag match when he was teaming with Moxley and Moxley bailed on him. But Pac, you would have to figure. I mean, we'll find out on Friday when we see where he's ranked. But Pac has to be considered as a top contender for Chris Jericho's AEW World Championship. However, as I said, a new challenger for that title may have emerged in the night's main event. Before we would get to the main event, however, we had a backstage brawl between the Young Bucks and Santana and Ortiz. If you remember the tag team now known as Proud and Powerful defeated the Young Bucks on the pay-per-view. And this was mainly due to Nick Jackson injuring his leg in the match. He went for a kick, missed, hit the post, he then wrestled the rest of the match on one leg. He was unable to hit a springboard maneuver near the end, and that allowed Santana and Ortiz to get on uh, offense and eventually take the match. So this was an all-out brawl in the back, and Santana and Ortiz would use a blackjack uh, to hit the bucks with. They would use that on Nick's already injured leg. Uh, the Santana then spray painted a bullseye on the, on a part of just away from the entrance ramp. They then power bombed Matt Jackson through it. They would continue the beat down on Nick Jackson as well. Brandon Cutler, private party came out, defend off Santana and Ortiz. And then it was announced next week we will get Private Party versus Santana and Ortiz. They also mentioned in regards to this match, which will take place next week, unfortunately, a wrestler by the name of Matt Travis, who wrestles for House of Glory, he was tragically killed recently. Uh, he was riding his bike in New York, and he was hit by a truck. And so very sad time for all the wrestlers, um, well, all the wrestlers who, who knew Matt Travis. Um, and 
many of the wrestlers from the House of Glory school and promotion where Private Party is from. So Private Party dedicating their match next week against Santana and Ortiz uh, to the memory of Matt Travis. That would then take us to the main event of the night. It would be a tag team championship match between Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky going up against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. So going into this match, I mean, this this seemed like Scorpio Sky and Kazarian's tag titles were in real jeopardy. Jericho and Guevara were undefeated. Jericho never has, up until last night, had never lost a match in AEW. And it seemed fitting. He's got this guy, Sammy Guevara, who you have to imagine Jericho sees a lot of himself in. And I know there's been a lot made recently in terms of comparisons of Sammy Guevara to Eddie Guerrero. Those comparisons were made recently by Booker T. Booker T had a hand in training Sammy Guevara. Guevara is from the Houston area and trained with Booker T's reality of wrestling promotion. And Booker T was on his radio show in Houston talking about Sammy Guevara and just talking about the kind of star power that this this kid seems to exude. This sort of like cocky heel attitude is just so all over this kid's face. And Booker talked a lot about that too. And it, it, it we're finding out more and more that Chris Jericho really seemed to lobby for AEW hiring Sammy Guevara. So that Guevara is moving into this role where Jericho is something of a mentor to him. Uh, seems fitting. And it also seems as though, while Sammy exudes a lot of Eddie Guerrero-style characteristics, there's a lot of young Chris Jericho in Sammy Guevara as well, which is likely something that Jericho has noticed and was maybe why he's taken such a liking to Guevara and he's taken Guevara under his wing. But him and Guevara would not win the tag team championships here. They would lose this match the same way the Lucha Bros lost the finals of the AEW tag team title tournament. And it was a small package from Scorpio Sky. And not only did Scorpio Sky hit a a small package pinning combination for the win to retain the tag team titles for his team. He pinned Chris Jericho. He pinned the AEW world champion, the first ever person in AEW to pin Jericho. So we've asked a couple of times during this show, what do we do now for a next challenger for Chris Jericho's AEW World Championship? Who's going to be the next in line? Well, who can argue that Scorpio Sky should be the next in line to see to receive an AEW World Championship shot? And that's a a, a booking uh, tendency seen in basically all promotions. If you pin the champion in a tag team match. 
you're very likely going to receive a title shot. And so Scorpio Sky, the self-professed 17-year overnight sensation, now, in a, now has a chance to become just the second ever AEW world champion, provided that Tony Khan and the matchmakers at All Elite Wrestling put him in a match against Jericho. But this was a very big episode of Dynamite, I thought. I mean, your first show after a pay-per-view is always big. The ratings tend to be a little up for the shows as people tune in to, to find out all the fallout. I don't know the ratings for this show yet. They're not out yet as of the time that I'm recording this. But I'd imagine droves of people who either watched Full Gear or found out what happened at Full Gear wanted to tune into Dynamite tonight to see what MJF was going to say. And all of those people who tuned in were given a big reason to continue tuning in next week to see what happens in the fallout of Scorpio Sky pinning Chris Jericho. Is Scorpio Sky given a title shot? If so, when does he get it? And then, of course, also next week, we've got... Darby Allen versus John Moxley in what should be an amazing match. And one day, I imagine those two will have a lights out match, which will be polarizing to uh, fans online, but who I think a lot of AEW fans, certainly the ones in live attendance, will love. But Moxley versus Darby Allen. And we'll also have Private Party versus Santana and Ortiz next week. So a lot going on in the world of AEW. Uh, like I said, we don't get NXT until tonight here. So we're just doing AEW today. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this show, supporting the website, supporting the YouTube channel. Lots of exciting stuff coming up uh, in early 2020. Should be fun. Thank you. Thanks again, everybody, for supporting this website and this show. I'm the I Guy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.